the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, is pleased to present the C4SO Podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and our focus for Lent this year is called A Healing Lent, Practices for Post-Traumatic Growth Through a Pandemic. We are going to be talking with guests about how COVID has impacted our lives, our leadership, our families, and our faith communities over these past two years, taking an inventory of our losses and our learnings with the hope of coming into a new season marked by resurrection during Eastertide. Our guests today are two people that I know very well, the Reverend Matt Tebby and the Reverend Spencer Ruark, who are co-pastors of The Table in Indianapolis. And the reason I know them very well is I am also a co-pastor of The Table in Indianapolis. Um, All of us are co-vocational as well. Matt uh, co-founded Gravity Leadership uh, along with me, where he coaches and trains Christians to root their lives and leadership in the love of God. And Spencer is a real estate agent here in the Indianapolis area. Guys, when uh, Andrea suggested y'all as podcast guests for this series, I thought, hey, I know them. <laughs> and also, I am them, in a way. So, uh, welcome to the C4SO podcast, gentlemen. Thanks, ben. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else uh, we should know about y'all before we dive in? Mm. No. Okay. I, I didn't mean for that to be a really hard question, but yeah, uh, right. that sounds There's good. so many things. What, what to say, <laughs> the, what to say. The what to say. Uh, one thing I can say is uh, Spencer and his family just moved to a new house across. Uh, they live in the same neighborhood they lived in before, but uh, they just moved to a new house. So I can appreciate the chaos that uh, Spencer is probably living in right now. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's okay, yeah. Spencer, if you're you know, not, on your, not on your game. Oh no! 100%. It's a it's okay. nice to like leave the house and go to the office because I can just pretend mm-hmm. that everything is normal at home. But when yeah. I'm at the house, it definitely does yeah. feel like living amidst chaos. <laughs> For sure. Um, well, uh, let's start with this uh, question about um, uh, the pandemic. What 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 was the hardest part of the pandemic for you personally? I don't know if that's an easy question to narrow narrow down on, but um, mm-hmm. as you think about the various effects of this two-year pandemic and, and running, I mean, it's not over yet, but uh, obviously things have evolved. What was the hardest part of this uh, for you personally? Spencer, you want to start? Yeah, I can go first. I mean, I think like many people at the very beginning, I remember just like demanding, like, okay, I will stay home for two mm-hmm. weeks, but after two weeks, I'm not staying home uh, because I'm an extremely extroverted person. Uh, I also have two young kids at my house, and so I was finishing my uh, my degree as well at the beginning of the pandemic. Kind of forgot about that actually. So I was doing a lot of writing <laughs> at home while navigating. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I had to say what the hardest part of the pandemic was, it was just like the uh, relational turmoil that it caused talking about what we would and wouldn't do. It just was a constant discussion Mm. with family and friends of just like, Hey, we are, this is what our family has decided. We feel like is faithfulness for us and people, Mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes feeling offended or attacked by that. And then being like, okay, do I have energy to give to this today? Or do I just need to like set a boundary? And how do I, it was like 
There's no option. There's no time for me to opt out of that discernment or those conversations. It was just like a constant discernment for two years, basically. Yeah. So like social conventions and kind of the unwritten or the, like the silent contract that we have with, with each other socially and relationally, a lot of those things that you don't need to think about all of a sudden need to be renegotiated like every, every 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, every day, um, as things evolved. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel that too. What would you say, Matt? Probably the, uh, realizing how much I traded on and relied on being in person and my, the relationality and my ability to connect and my ability to be with people in order mm. to care for them, love them, pastor them, yeah. uh, feel connected, uh, et cetera. <clears throat> yeah. And so I didn't realize how much of that I relied on until it was taken away. And then I really was frustrated, I guess, or thwarted or yeah. experienced the lack of that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And maybe two other things is uh, I think it was really hard for our kids to be yeah. isolated and on screens yeah. all day and not mm. socialized and us trying to work and parent at the same time. Um, that was super challenging. I'm just mentioning three because this has been really hard for me. Um, and the third thing <laughs> Narrow is, it down to the top. <laughs> the third is this gravity thing that we do on the side. Um, you know, in 2019... Um, people were like, oh, what now what is Zoom and how do I use it? Oh, this is fun. Look at us looking at each other, talking on a computer. I get to do this <laughs> 75 minutes a week. That's great. Hmm. And now people are like, if I spend one more minute on Zoom, I'm going to jump off my roof. And yeah. so um, the vehicle that we use in our bivocational um, job is yeah. now a headache for people rather than yeah. novel. Right. And so I think that, that also created some challenges for us. Yeah, yeah. The and that that vehicle we we do a lot of online training of coaches and and coaching of of leaders, um, which is which is why that vehicle, yeah, it ended up sort of becoming this interesting thing that everybody was uh, sort of enamored with, but quickly became uh, a headache for mm. everyone. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of your answers, Matt, um, to that question, I think brings up. Uh, the second question I wanted to ask was: just, what, what was the hardest part of the pandemic? F- about what was the hardest part about leading a church through the pandemic? And Matt, you mentioned the um, mm-hmm. kind of the missing out on the in-person uh, just way of being together. That you realized I rely on this quite a bit to know how people are doing, to be able to intuit how people need care. You know, a lot of things that could happen when you're in person or at least rubbing shoulders on a Sunday morning, a lot of those things can happen when, you know, you can give people a quick word and you can do like 10 or 12 or 20 of those things uh, at once um, and just get a feel. But um, the the isolation uh, Mm -hmm. was difficult to sort of just care for people pastorally is what I'm hearing you say. Um, Would you add anything to that, uh, Spencer? about the, like the most difficult part of leading a church through the pandemic? Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely resonate with that one for sure. But I also mm-hmm. think that it was a season, it has been a season and continues to be where we are doing a work that we were not in any way prepared for. Um, not only are we unqualified to be, you know, reading what the CDC is saying and making discernments and distinctions for our, how our people ought to safely interact. Um, 
we're not qualified for it, but we also like, it wasn't part of what we signed up for, you know? Um, so it was a lot of extra work and it was really difficult to be discerning for your family, but then also at the congregational level, what would be wise, uh, and then how to communicate in a way that was effective when we were all so spread out. I'm, uh, I'm kind of noticing actually in this conversation, I know we just started, but as we reflect on the pandemic, I'm noticing that my brain is naturally thinking about the first three to four months of the pandemic. And I wonder if the further we get removed from this, when we talk about COVID, we're going to be thinking about like spring of 2020 and forgetting that it was a two year thing with like Mm. waves and changes and nuance and complication. There's been so much that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with that Spencer. I think, um, there's like moments that are sort of seared into my memory because they were like, especially uh, traumatics maybe, or, yeah. you know, or whatever. I, like, for example, I remember exactly the morning of uh, 9-11, 2001, mm. right? That, that morning, I remember exactly how I found out what I was doing. You know, everything about that morning was like, you know, is seared into my memory. And I have similar memories right at the beginning of the pandemic for me. Like, I remember hearing about the first case in Indianapolis of COVID and thinking, oh, we need to talk about this probably, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I remember emailing our leadership team. I remember crafting an email about worship that weekend, you know, and then the following conversations that, you know, the following week, which were like, oh, well, I guess we probably have to shut down worship for, I don't know. I was with you, Spencer. I was like, a couple weeks? I don't know, three, four? A month <laughs> by Easter, right? You know, sort of making these bargains with a pandemic. Um, which is silly, but, but yeah, I, I hear that. I, w- I wonder if there are sort of, we, we, our bodies go back to these, uh, memories of the beginning because it was like, that was the shockwave that kind of hit us. Um, but I wonder if there will be, I don't know, more effects to, to mine out, you know, mm. cause this has gone on for two years. It's, you know, nobody would have imagined this. Yep. Yeah, Matt, anything you'd add to just the difficulty of leading a church through a pandemic? Yeah, a lot of hard work can't be done, cannot be done asynchronously. So some of my biggest mistakes as a pastor or as a rector have been trying to do too much work in an email or the wrong kind of work. Right. Um, Emails can only do so much. Texts can only do so much. Phone calls can only do so much. And Zoom, God bless Zoom, can only do so much, but... Um, if you're not in the same room, in the same presence, putting your hand on someone's shoulder or holding their hand, um, if you aren't connected and attuned to somebody in a physical space, uh, you're really limited in the kinds of conversations you can have and the kind of care I think you can provide. Um, this is why, you know, if somebody's in the hospital, we go to the room. You know, we don't, right. we don't phone we don't phone right. it in there's a reason why it's called phoning it in <laughs> right, right? right. Mm-hmm. it's we, uh, they, we, know. we know it's second best or yeah third best. yeah it's yeah. it's uh it's in the phrase itself so yeah. i think i think it's just limited the kind of care and the kind of conversations uh especially you know t- this last two years hasn't been free of tumult right we've had mm-hmm. uh pandemics that have been politicized we've had elections that have been um you know, contentious. And so there's, there's been a lot of need, I think, for the church to gather and discern and to pray. And, and some of that's been taken from us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the deep, 
the deeply ironic, tragically ironic thing that I kept coming back to as well. It was just like, like this is a moment in history, a moment in time when we need to be together more than ever. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact thing that's the most dangerous for us to do because of because we're in the middle of a of a global pandemic. And so, yeah, yeah, there was just a feeling for me of just my hands are tied here and I I don't know what to do. There's no strategy out of this. There's no better way of thinking about it or better plan that we can implement to make this easier. It was just it just was hard. So mm. Matt, you mentioned the politicization of the pandemic, um, which I think, I don't know, I read history and I think, I think all of them have been politicized, it seems like. Um, there's something, I don't know, uh, inherent in us that wants to do this. But how, how has that affected um, y'all? Um, just the, the politicization, I think I'm saying that right, politicization of the pandemic. How has that affected you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I, it's been really draining. This kind of gets back to my, what I said was the hardest part of the pandemic. It was the mm-hmm. added work that was happening in every conversation uh, previously. Um, I do think we, we had a conversation with someone a couple of months back where we were talking about this and it kind of occurred to me. I think other people have said it as well, but there, there's nothing new happening here. Um, like the things that have come to the surface and been revealed were already present and at work. And so Mm -hmm. I do feel like it has presented us with an opportunity to examine how we pastor and have conversations in the midst of that. Um, I, I just had a conversation this morning where I was noticing that I was trying to do so much work, you know, like five years of work in a conversation because I've, I've been on this course of learning since 2015 of reading and a different understanding of power. And so then because all this stuff is on the surface, I'm so excited to be like, okay, this is on the surface. So like, let's, let's address power. Now let's talk about systems of power and how they work. Um, so I'm really grateful for that opportunity. Uh, again, though, it's something new. Like we are having to pastor in a way that these things are on the surface, mm-hmm. but for us to even have words and language to talk about them, it's been years in the making. And yeah. so, at, at some level, I feel like every conversation I'm having about that is like an experiment, you know, mm-hmm. um, hopefully a gracious experiment where I can trust that yeah. God is present and at work in it, right? It's not up to me to uh, just nail it every time, but there's something going on. And there's this, these last two years have really revealed a lot. Um, and so it's an opportunity where I think, you know, God is really trying to bring things to the surface. I, I do think that it's, yeah. It's an inflection point in a lot of ways. Hey everyone, it is time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for Christ Church Mission in Mission, Kansas, led by the Reverend Dean Behrens, and he has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Dean, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Awesome. Hello, Ben. Hello, Diocese. All right. Uh, What's something that you are encouraged by right now that's happening at Christ Church Mission? Uh, Okay, so we're a five-year-old church plant, Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm encouraged just that we are seeing some like, I think, healthy growth right now. Oh, 
Well, look at there. You know, it's just like yeah. after, you know, not that this is the first time in five years, but I am just genuinely encouraged by yeah. getting some traction right now after, you know, at this point in our life as a church. And it it it's thrilling and it's fun to see God working in different ways. And so it's it's been a good season for us, especially coming out of the pandemic and all that. Stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Um, how about a challenge that you guys are facing right now that you want to share? So, yes. So the challenge that I would say is that some of the people who are joining our church and coming into our life as a community are people who have been, have experienced some church um, pain and mm-hmm. trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and have been really hurt by church. Yeah. And it's like kind of a disproportionately large number of people that are joining our church have are in that place yeah, right now. Yeah, sure. And I, and I, I said before, I think Anglican churches in in some ways like kind of attract people like that because there's this real stability to the mm, way yeah, of worship. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's attractive to people who have experienced um, some tumultuous church past. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the challenge is just like, I want to provide a really, a really like good place for them to heal from that and yeah. to, to grow. And yeah. um, so that's, I feel like I'm learning yeah. a lot about that right now and want, and just want to steward all that yeah. really well as a church. Yeah. yeah that's really great. Um, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that you mm-hmm. have those folks uh, who are there and glad to hear that you like your heart as a leader is to uh, provide a space for them. You know um, it does take some, I mean, that our our church feels similar in some ways, really? and it takes some, uh, it takes some care, doesn't it? To Absolutely. Just, you know, to realize, wow, okay, this this very normal church thing that I might just you know announce without a second thought might be really totally. triggering and, and difficult for some people, and I might need to think about how we talk about this or offer to talk with people about what we're doing here, and you know, um, there's Absolutely. just a lot to think through. Yeah, and when you see people who Christians who have such like real amazing potential that God mm-hmm. has given them, but have been wounded. Um, yeah. I, as a leader and as a pastor, just want to like help facilitate them getting back on track, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and have God like just really heal them completely. And I just see them as such like a, an asset to the kingdom of God, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so helping, helping foster that kind of growth is important. to me. Yep. Well, wonderful. Thanks for sharing all this with us, Dean, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, everybody. Listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Christ Church Mission or contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. Yeah, so I, I hear you saying the, you know, the politicization of the pandemic is not it's not all like it's not just something to lament and be like, oh man, isn't that sad or isn't that isn't that too bad? But it actually also represents an opportunity for because you know these realities that have been lurking under the surface that we've been able to ignore, you know, predominantly, especially in the white church, like we've been able to ignore these things or you know get along with each other, so to speak, without talking about them or without needing to address them, but. There's an actually an opportunity here because it's like, okay, well, these are real conflicts that we have. These are real differences of understanding, differences of assumption, different paradigms. And the pandemic has revealed that 
So it's also an opportunity for us to, you know, learn, learn how to talk about these things in a, you know, like in a gracious way, but also, also a truthful way where we're not mm. trying to brush things under the rug, but say, Hey, this is what we're seeing and what we're learning. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, that's interesting. So I'm an Enneagram eight. And so I'm realizing that mm-hmm. conflict in general for me, uh, I guess the question of like, can't we all just get along rarely occurs to me, but it's usually because like, <laughs> right. if we're not getting along about something, I don't think like, let's just pretend that we don't have this thing going on, you know? And so obviously this is reductive and kind of a silly example, or maybe it doesn't feel silly, but when people are yelling at employees of a grocery store about masks or like spitting at people, my th- the thought that occurs to me is not, can't we all just get along? It's like, whoa, what is going on here that has come to the surface? And right. is this an opportunity to try to enter into that? I mean, be careful. Yeah. You want to be out of spitting range, obviously, if you're yeah, entering yeah, into right. it. But yeah. 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 There's more at stake than just uh, stop spitting and stop yelling, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's also... What what's going on for you that you're spitting and yelling? What is happening, right? Mm. Yeah, and and I can I can see I know you well enough to know that you know that kind of stuff gets you fired up. You're like, yeah, let's do it, let's talk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how about you, Matt? What what reflections do you have about just the politicization of the pandemic and how that's affected you? I think you're muted, Matt. Matt you're muted, Matt. Sorry, guys. I'm coughing like crazy over here. I keep muting myself to cough and then forget to unmute myself. Uh, one of the one of the issues of the pandemic has, and this isn't the only thing. There's probably a dozen artifacts, but one of them is the way power works and um, how people who have power use their power to keep and consolidate power. And so if you would have asked me in 2019, like, hey, if the Spanish flu hit, do you think that um, somebody could somebody could politicize the Spanish flu to an extent that you could blame one side of the political aisle for it and um, and create like moral high ground around things like vaccines and social distancing and masks? I would have said probably not. But now I, I think I have a much more sobriety and clarity about what's actually going on in a lot of the division that we see in our uh, in the public square, if you will, or the polarization, we sometimes call it divisiveness. And, um, I think I think I see a lot of connections with, you know, things like uh, church abuse situations and domestic violence situations and mm. uh, church two and me too situations and Black Lives Matter slash uh, fighting for racial justice situations mm-hmm. that there are segments of the population who have power and reckoning with the misuse of that power or the abuse suffered under that power mm-hmm. or who who that power costs or who isn't that power good for, that that has repercussions and those repercussions aren't pleasant and people will react and fight against rectification. And so I just didn't anticipate a global pandemic being recruited into that culture war. But it was, and it is, it still is. It still is. Um, It still is. And I think my imagination six years ago when I became a priest in C4SO was let the, let the world fight its own fights. These fights, you know, let them fight. 
let you know let Rome and the zealots have the war but I'm gonna flee to the hills and watch them kill each other hmm. I think that was my p- spot six years ago um, and I don't think I'm there anymore hmm. I think I actually think that um, you know I actually think that as a Christian I'm called to stand on the side of the powerless people for whom worldly power works against isn't set up for. I think this is deeply a part of what it means to follow Jesus. I haven't learned this from my theological heroes that I grew up with. I've learned it from people I've had to discover on my own. Um, You know, people from the margins, black and brown church leaders, um, people who've lived and ministered in places with crippling poverty and crippling disease um, and crippling economic kind of arrangements that have crushed Christians, just crushed them. And they've had to, they've had to do the work, uh, themselves to survive and to be faithful, but also then I benefit maybe proximally from them just to reclaim what it means to stand against injustice. Sometimes the most faithful Mm. thing you can do is not say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Yeah. Sometimes the most faithful thing you can do is tell the truth about the division and that injustice is causing and respond with anger to it because that's telling the truth about it. So the, these are all the things I'm learning. I think yeah. then the pandemic has crystallized or maybe has been the icing on the cake for me rather than it hasn't been the sole tutor. It's been more of a catalyst and a, yeah. and a clarification. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I, I hear you saying something similar you know, to Spencer that, again, the politicization is not just like like getting along and being nice and sort of like having a pleasant conversation with someone is not is not mm. the only thing that's at stake here that there are so many deeper uh issues of justice um that the the politicization of the pandemic has sort of revealed to say oh okay now I see what we're I see what's happening now um and it's actually training me to live more faithfully and with more wisdom uh, as a follower of Jesus and as a leader uh, in the church, so yeah, yeah, that's 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 good reflections, guys. Well said. Um, this series is called a healing Lent, and so I wonder if we can look uh, look towards that and um, through this question, what um, have you been doing this Lent to seek healing and nourishment? Um, on the basis of all these ways that the pandemic has sort of uh, affected us and uh, we've taken hits. Um, what are what are some ways that this Lent you're seeking healing and nourishment? Hmm. Spencer? Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good question. It's kind of a tough one. I, I, feel, hmm. I feel a little bashful because we just moved this weekend, like you mentioned, Ben. Yeah. Um, and so I don't feel like I'm fully operating in this right now. But for Lent, <laughs> I am trying to be less productive. Um, and I'm tr- the way that that's concretely taking shape is I'm trying to spend more time reading each day, uh, and specifically early in the morning, because with my co-vocational gig as a realtor, it's very easy to start chasing something and then end up, you know, looking down at my watch and realizing like, okay, my day is almost shot now. I've just been busy. And so I'm intentionally trying to take my foot off the gas, um, obviously not to let any balls drop, but to an extent, I guess, for that extra time in the morning, if they have to drop in that time, then they are. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like, because we just moved, I don't feel like I'm actively 
being less productive because it's still just like I gotta get these boxes out of my way so I can get around this house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. I can't read right now. Gotta get this box. Out. No, that, that's a great practice, though, man. I, I found it really interesting the way that you phrase that. That mm-hmm. I'm trying to be less productive. Like a, mm-hmm. a lot of times, I mean, it just doesn't occur. I think to a lot of us as a <laughs> as a goal. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm gonna spend less time at work, maybe. But even mm-hmm. like aiming for less productivity, I think is a is a fascinating is a fascinating goal. It bu- kind of bucks against a lot of our, I don't know, feels like American assumptions about what it means to be, you know, a good leader, a good, you know, worker, a good person. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Uh, Matt, how about you? How have you been seeking healing and nourishment this Lent? Um, through a few of the commitments and fasts that uh, we've made. Um, as, as a family, we have decided to put our phones away from dinner to bedtime. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the habits we've found ourselves being in is that we rest or we cease from work by ourselves rather than together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think that it's healthy for me and my wife to in our kids, um, as a result, to seek to connect with each other and to be uh, more present to who's in the room and what's going mm. on around us, yeah. as a way of healing. Yeah. Um. So that's one. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I realize that I, you know, part of the, um, I don't know the right word to use. Co- collateral, collateral compensation maybe of being a caregiver um is that who's you know i've been i feel like i've been riding in the back of an ambulance for two years you know um (laughs) and sleeping on the gurney when there's nobody in it right uh and and trying to like ignore the siren as we go to the next person while i try to sleep i mean it just Mm -hmm. feels like this frantic incessant pace yeah um and so i've been actually seeking to try to get in touch with how sad i am Hmm. because i'm i'm noticing that i'm very sad yeah. and sad feelings for me i mean i have a, a hist- i have like a um there's a reason why i try to stay distanced from my sad feelings like goes beyond mm-hmm. just the cultural moment we're in right but yeah. also uh you know bringing it back to what you were talking about spencer i feel like i'm more busy now than i've ever been on the various horizons of my life and i've noticed I can't prove this with data, but anecdotally, when I'm sad, I suck at getting things done. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't become more productive, I become less. And so mm. I have all kinds of internal and external motivations to not be sad. And I decided for Lent that I would get in touch with uh, my feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of force yeah. myself to be sad. Yeah, yeah. Not make or myself pay, sad, but pay, right. be be present to my sadness. Yeah. Right. The awareness I'm hearing you name is I am sad. I know it's there, um, but I have all kinds of reasons that it's it just seems reasonable to me that I can ignore this or push this down or n- numb it in you know through all kinds of channels. Yeah. But one of the you know to find healing, you know, you actually have to pay attention to it, and so just carving out space for that. Yeah, it makes sense. 
Um, well, thanks guys. Really appreciate you, uh, sharing this, uh, you know, podcast space with me. We share a lot of other spaces together as uh, co-pastors <laughs> and friends. Yeah. Um, and so, um, it's, it's always good. Let me uh, ask you this, these two questions we're asking everybody on the C4SO podcast this year. Uh, two questions to finish up this interview. One, what is a book, movie, or TV show that you appreciated recently? First thing that pops into your head, Spencer. Yeah, Station Eleven. Station Eleven, the TV show yeah. or the book? Uh, I loved the show. Like, okay, would watch it again right now. I'm yeah. actually reading reading the book, uh, which I think is a testament to how much I liked it. That I wanted to stay in that world and with those characters, but yeah, I can't remember the last time I watched a show that I would just go ahead and start again at the beginning. It's only ten yeah. episodes. I'll just cycle yeah. right back through it. Yeah, agreed. I watched that too. I loved it. Matt, how about you? And Spencer took mine. So oh, I will say yes. <laughs> book or TV show or yeah, movie. Or movie. Yep. Uh, probably the Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Classic. Classic. Can I say that? Uh, you can if it's true. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't say that, I'll say the book of common prayer. <laughs> yeah, you're getting uh, getting Jesus juked, Anglican juked, all kinds of stuff. I just feel like uh, I feel like maybe I need to dock some credit into the C4SO bank here. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's doing it. But no, I don't know if that's how it works. You don't think my cheekiness is doing it? Um, uh, gosh, I would have said I would have said Station Eleven. Um, yeah. But well, let that- me th- let me think about an alternative. Um. Probably this book I'm reading by Sarah Schulman named mm. Conflict is Not Abuse. Um, and the subtitle is Overstating Harm, Community Responsibility, and the Duty of Repair. One of the things I'm learning from communities that aren't centered and aren't mainstream is how to develop a diverse and more accurate lexicon to describe the levels of re- conflict harm, injury, mistakes, and abuse. Yeah. Right? So I think maybe a collective kairos that, you know, church, church, white churches in the West are having over the last 30 years is that, hey, we've, we've actually tolerated a lot of abuse. And even in ACNA and right. C4SO, we're kind of dealing with some of that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, but I, I find that when I talk to other church leaders and even myself, like I don't have a good vocabulary or social imaginary of how to name, okay, what is, is this abuse or is this harm or is this a mistake or is this just conflict? And how do we, how do we know the difference? Yep. And I yes. feel like I need to learn from other people how to better, more faithfully um, maybe identify, assess, and um, rectify situations mm-hmm. based upon what's actually happening. So yeah, yep. conflict is not abuse. Yes. Uh, another recommendation I can wholeheartedly uh, endorse as well. Uh, it's a great, it's a great book. Um, second question, how can we pray for you? Spencer, you want to start? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, uh, I guess the, the best way would be related to my, how I'm seeking healing this Lent is just that I would be able to actually lean into that lack of, you know, a little less, productivity and, and rest and uh, like easing into that graceful flow of the day where I'm still getting work done, but also not just turning everything in my brain 
into yeah. a task, you know? Yes. Yeah, that would be right. that would be huge. Okay. Matt, how about you? How about how can you pray for me? How can we how can we pray for you? How can listeners pray for you? Um that I would have the courage to show up at my assigned time every day and face my sadness. Hmm. Schedule it in. It's scheduled, all right. That's the yeah, that's the way that I have to do it. I have other responsibilities though, Ben. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, outside of outside of just being a, a human, I've got a dog. Yep. You gotta take care of the dog. I have children. Mm-hmm. Who are at least as much too. of a responsibility as my dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just that I can I can prioritize that, you know. All right. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, uh, y'all. And thanks for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate your thoughts um, and your reflections. Thanks, Ben. Good to be with you. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.